All right, guys, welcome to this episode of the Ace of Spada podcast. Today, um, I have a special guest. The founder of Core Nutritionals, Doug Miller, is on the show. Um, I had Brandon Wattis on about a month and a half ago. So that was kind of a nice little lead up to the whole natural bodybuilding type of segue. Had a few others that are in the industry. Um, But we booked this a while ago. I remember us talking about this in like early February, early March or something. Finally was able to get a date done. Uh, get it here, get it ready. Um, quarantine kind of messed a few things up, both of us wise. So we'll get into it. But he is a former, uh, kind of just to add a little value, a former Penn State man himself. Yes, so sir. to start that off, that's kind that's of nice. That's a long time ago, uh, but... man. That's 2001. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine, uh, if you're listening to this, I probably graduated about a month ago. So good for me, kind of yeah. moving on. Uh, like I was talking with Doug before moving into Doug's territory. So hopefully we'll get to meet in person, uh, when I move down there. Um, but Doug kind of welcome to the show and just give a little quick introduction. Thanks, to yourself. Thanks for having me. Well, I mean, I guess you kind of summed it up a little bit. I'm a Penn state grad. Um, got when I left Penn state, it was right around the time I really got into training. Um, I needed something to really like push me since I wasn't playing sports anymore. So I got into natural bodybuilding. I have a biochemistry and economics background. So the biochemistry background kind of pushed me to want to know more about training and how the body responds. And so I've just kept on doing a ton of research myself. Um, you know, I was pretty much hooked, started winning my first couple shows that I did, uh, kind of grew through natural bodybuilding, uh, ended up winning the world championship, the Yorton cup twice and once in 2009 and once in 2014, uh, those were kind of like the highlights, I would say the pinnacle of my bodybuilding career. Um, I started off in the world of consulting like you're going into. I did that for 13 years. Um, at the same time, I started building my businesses on the side. So I've, I'm no stranger to working 100 hours a week. That's just how it happens. Um, in 2013, I kind of stepped away from the economic litigation consulting that I was doing to kind of pursue the businesses, which were um, Core Nutritionals at the time was the brand. And then the Nutrition Corners were the retail stores that I was beginning to open. And also I was doing a lot of coaching. So I've trained bodybuilders from all over the world. I've had probably in the thousands now of clients. Um, I don't do that anymore because I just don't have time, to be honest with you. So about... I would say about two years ago, I stopped taking on clients and, you know, I still work with a couple people here and there, but it's more like clients that have been with me for 10 years and I don't have to do a whole lot. And, you know, they pay me in Cuban cigars and we're good, you know, so um, (laughs) I don't really take on clients anymore, but me personally, I still, all of the businesses arise out of my passion for training. So, you know, I've been training for, well, pretty much since 17 years old, right? When I went into college. So I started college at 17 and I've been training and I'm 40 years old now. So I've been training literally just about every day for 23 years. And it's pretty much the highlight of my day every day. I build it into my schedule. It's something I do, you know, people want to have a meeting and it's the time that I'm training. I'm like, sorry, man, I got a meeting. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's not important (laughs) to me. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, kind of all the businesses are based around, that love for training, love for fitness, and love for helping people. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think honestly, honestly off your story, I think you have one of the dopest home gyms I've seen out of anybody. That thing is rigged out. Um, I am currently working with a few resistance yeah. bands, so I'm doing with what I got, and hopefully the gym's open pretty soon. I don't think it's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, so I kind of want to go into that. I think we saw it in your story the other day. You had your logbook, your first ever logbook. And um, yeah. I kind of want to go into how you developed your your whole training style. We look at guys like Jordan Peters, who has high intensity, low volume. Um, that's mostly a lot of people's type of training. It seems like that I follow is more of that Dorian Yates type style. And then you come out and you have like four sets of like 20 reps, 20 plus reps. Um, I kind of want to go into how you develop that huge, huge volume um, 
from the beginning? Like, where did that take that turn into that's the type of training that worked for me? So, you know, when I first started training, I learned from Flex Magazine. I learned from Arnold's Encyclopedia of, you know, bodybuilding, you know, which were a lot of those were super high volume coming from people that were on massive amounts of steroids. So, um, you know, that was just really the information I had, you know, the internet was just blooming at the time, you know, we're talking back in 1997, 1998, you know, I graduated high school in 97. So, um, there was just, there wasn't as much information out there. Right. And the science really on training wasn't even developed at that point. Like a lot of the research is, is relatively new. Um, but at the end of the day, it came down to, I mean, I've trained so much. I've tried just about every approach to training. And at the end of the day, whether or not I get, I could be getting better results training some other way. I have found that I really enjoy training on the higher rep side. Now it's not to say it's like a lightweight and I'm not, you know, like when I'm doing 20 reps, like I feel like I'm going to die by the time I hit 20 reps. Right. (laughs) Um, but that's just the way that over the years I've really kind of settled into. That's how I like to train. I like the way I feel when I do it. I like the, the, the blood flow, the volume, just the, the way I feel the pumps, the, just everything about it. Now, you know, a lot of the research points to the, you know, hypertrophy is in the six to 12 rep range. But for me, I've, you know, I've gained a lot of results from training the way that I do right now. Again, I'm not ignorant enough to think that that means it's an optimal way and it's an optimal way for everyone. It's just at the end of the day, if you don't really love your training or enjoying your training, then you're not going to be putting as much into it. And that means you're not going to be getting as much out of it. So there's a balance between, okay, let's look at the science. Let's look at the real world results. And then what do you really, how do you really enjoy to train? Um, And for me, that's the way I like to train. Now, I would say it's probably one. Another thing is like my body and maybe I'm good at those rep ranges because I do them a lot. That has something to do with it. But the way my body is built is like I can do a pretty heavy weight for a ton of reps, but I'm not like a power lifter. And maybe that's because I haven't trained like a power lifter, but like I'm not going to squat 700 pounds. I'm not going to deadlift 800 pounds. Like this is not going to happen. But, you know, I could deadlift four or five for 30 reps. Um, it's just because that's the way I train. That's the way I enjoy to train. And my body is somewhat suited for that. Um, so it's a combination of all those things, but I would say that, you know, you talked about these people that, uh, like more of a high intensity, um, after working with a ton of clients, you know, I've switched a lot of clients from like a lower, like a hit training. Like my day was like back at like Skip LaCour. I don't know if you know who Skip LaCour is, but he was uh, an ASP sports science athlete. This is like back in the day, right? Like early 2000s. And he was all about doing just two sets of four to six reps, right? Just maximum (laughs) intensity. It's like Max OT. It's like men's style, right? So, um, yeah. Yeah, You know, I've changed a lot of people from training that way to a higher volume, more traditional bodybuilding approach. And the results are very clear, you know, and this is, these are natural athletes that I'm training. So, um, I felt like the volume wasn't enough and they couldn't generate enough intensity in those two sets to really get the hypertrophy response that you want. And so I found two things. One is they started enjoying their training more because they were getting great pumps, but two, um, their body kind of transformed, you know, they, they developed on the higher volume, they developed more of a dense muscle look to them again, staying natural. Right. Um, because the, some of the guys that you mentioned, you know, are, who are using, I mean, they're going to be dense regardless of how they train. Right. But like, you know, like that more grainy look than that, you know, people get, um, I find comes from more traditional higher volume training. Now, the one thing I will point out about my training, you know, we talked about it's high reps, like a lot of 20 rep sets, you know, if I'm doing four sets of 20 reps, you know, I'm not necessarily, especially if it's one of the first exercises in my workout, I'm not doing the whole stack for 20 reps, right? Like, so this morning I trained chest and back. I started off with pull downs. So I did like, you know, close grip pull downs to start. So I did yep. 120 yep. for 20 reps. Then I did 180 for 20 reps. Then I did 240 for 20 reps. And then really, the only set that was to like total failure was the 300, like the full stack for 20 reps. Right. Okay. So, okay. 
you know, as I'm more warmed up later in my workouts, yes, some of the higher, you know, there's multiple sets kind of to failure, but you know, I don't think it would be possible to train every 20 rep set to failure. Like that's just not possible or, you know, that would just want to be good. So just a little clarity there. It's not like I'm doing all out every 20 rep set is to failure. Some of them are acclimation sets. So if you look at it that way, it is a little bit more similar to some of the people that you mentioned and how they're training it. You know, it's, um, it's more volume, but the number of sets to failure probably isn't all that different. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of thinking about. It's like um, um, training to failure. You're still doing it. Like that's the whole point I'm trying to get across is multiple people's training is that they they all train to failure just in a different way. Because I have seen it works best for me too if I I stay in a higher rep range. But I got to have one full set to failure, no matter if it's a rest pause or something like that. Like it's the technique that you use to get to that point of breaking the muscle down. The other issue and why I like training that way is it's a little bit safer to train. Like, you know, now training for 20 some years, I'm pretty developed. Now that I'm 40, you know, obviously I'm more likely to hurt myself doing something than when I was 20. And so training with that higher, if I was going to go to failure at like the four rep range, the six rep range, even the eight rep range, I got to go pretty darn heavy. Right. And then I have a greater risk of injury. If I'm injured, I can't train the way I want to train and my gains won't be there. Right. So the key to longevity and bodybuilding is also staying healthy. So you have to be smart about how you're training because Maybe you won't be lifting as heavy, but if you're consistently like increasing, increasing, increasing and staying healthy, um, you know, you're not going to get that drop off where you have to steer away from certain exercises for two months, right? As you're recovering from them. So I, I take the approach of trying to stay, I guess, safe is the word while still keeping intensity high. Yeah. And I think the safety part brings us up to kind of the second point I wanted to talk about, which is that back off point. You're like, you're deload. You're, I want to go when they, when do you know when to back off? And then when do you know when to push yourself? Because I think this is a big thing that a lot of people really struggle with is they don't know when to back off. I think that's a huge problem right now is that I was, especially when I started, I kept wanting to push and push and push. And then kind of learning and reading and getting more into bodybuilding. Now I'm more, now I know when my body needs to take a rest or I need to take an extra day, but that's just from learning it. But I want to know, like, how did you learn how to, when to back off, especially doing this high volume, when to back off and when to push? I think there's two different types of people. And then there's obviously in between, there's the people that you said that don't know when to back off. But I also think there's the people that don't push themselves enough, right? They use deloading. They they deload when they don't even really need to. They because they're they're so my my training is more instinctual, right? It's how I'm feeling in a given week, in a given month, in a given day. Whereas when you're pro and just re- remember, I'm not a power lifter, right? I'm a bodybuilder, so there's a big difference here. I understand yep. programming and you know uh, you know percentages of your one rep max and, you know, planning out your cycles and your mesocycles and all that. I get it right. Like for powerlifting, but I'm not a powerlifter. I'm a bodybuilder. So I think most people probably do not push themselves hard enough and are sometimes get like paralysis by analysis. They get into a program and they follow it so much to a T that they take a deload even when they probably really don't need it. Um, so for me, Generally, I do not like to deload. I preferably like to just take a couple days off if I need it. Like I know when I am just – and for me, it's more of like almost like a neurological thing. But like when my entire body aches and I'm like, I just need more days off, right? Um, also, I've gone from training like six days a week to five days a week most weeks. And having that one extra day okay. is – has been significantly better for me. My lifts the day after just one day off where I usually do cardio and mobilization and stuff, um, are phenomenal. Like they're usually my, my two best workouts in the week, the day, the days after, you know? So, I mean, I could even see down the line and, you know, I might even experiment with it just training every other day, right? Like, um, 
you know, I'm probably pretty close to my natural limit, right? So I don't expect to yeah. put on 20 pounds of muscle at 40 years of age. So now <laughs> it's about being the most efficient with my training, right? And, um, you know, when I, like I said, when I take a day off, my training is phenomenal. So uh, for me, I've incorporated more rest days. And then if I really need to take an entire weekend off or two or three days off, um, it doesn't really happen that much, uh, but I do it. Uh, I also will throw in some periodization into my training, but it's more of a, um, it's more of like an exercise selection and different uh, methodologies in my training, which break up my training. I wouldn't even call, I wouldn't call it a deload, but mentally it gives me a break. And so what I mean by that is a lot of times when I'm feeling kind of mentally drained, believe it or not, I actually like to do German volume training. So like 10 sets of 10, right? <laughs> and a lot of people are like, maybe not on like squats and deadlifts when I'm really mentally drained, like you need to be mentally focused for that. But mm-hmm. when I feel like I, I just in like my head's elsewhere, but I still would like to get trained. I do German volume training because I don't really have to think about it, right? Like I don't really, you know, I'm just kind of go through, I, I don't want to say I go through the motions because it's more to it than that because I am pushing myself, but I know that I'm not going to absolute dead failure, killing myself on all 10 sets, right? Like the idea is to get through the 10 and make them a challenge. Um, and it really, you know, helps with blood flow and you're still getting the training in. So you know, sometimes I use things like that to break up my training and really just throw my training for a loop, you know, start backwards, you know, do calves before training quads, you know, like just mix things up completely. And that kind of gives me a lot of times it's more of the mental break or from the intense training all the time. And that is probably you most of the time enough to kind of get me through. Um, and then obviously taking a couple extra days off and then just really knowing when your body is tired take a break. You're not going to lose your muscle. In fact, most of the times you come back, you come back a lot stronger um, and recovered. So um, for me, I don't like to just go into the gym and kind of go through the motions and, you know, okay, it's a deload week. So I'm going to operate at 60% of what I normally would do with these. Like I would rather take the time off, maybe do a little bit of cardio and work on mobility and uh, foam rolling and, you know, all that other type of recovery activity that you can do. Yeah, I think yeah, actually I think talking, actually to, talking to a lot of people <laughs> is they do exactly what you do. They literally take, they'd rather take that full week completely off than go in not knowing that they're going to put that intensity where it's right. needed. They said, like, there's a few people that I've had on. Um, I've recently just had on Mark Tomanek, who's a coach for, he's a bodybuilding coach up in Ohio. And he was talking, he was like, yeah, I I take my rest days. He's like, I don't. He's like, if I'm not going 110%, like on those days, he's like, it's not worth it for me to even yeah. push. He's like, I'd rather let the body recover because he knows in the end, if you push it at 110%, it's way better than pushing at seven, at like 60 or 70%. Yeah. And I think there's also a fallacy here too that you were talking about with the not pushing yourself hard enough. Um, I feel like we see it all the time now, especially as science has become more prevalent in bodybuilding is that it feels like it's used as an excuse to not train hard enough. Like a lot of people go into RIR type training. I've had Steve Hall on here from revive stronger about it. And he was talking about going into that eight to you're somewhere between that seven to 10 range. Usually he said all the time, but I think even if you say seven to eight, I feel like there's a lot of give with that with a lot yeah. of people is because and I think it's an excuse for people to kind of just back off and not push themselves. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, the thing that separates a great bodybuilder from an average bodybuilder is uh, is training more than anything else. Right. It's the intensity and in training. It's how you can actually push yourself diet. I mean, everyone kind of knows how to diet. You hit your macros, you eat you eat foods that are pretty much the same as every other bodybuilder eats generally, right? Um, you get eight hours of rest a night. Like those are basics that a lot of people do. So there's no magic in the sci- in the diet, to be honest with you. Um, it comes down to the training and the intensity that you can generate and how you can stimulate new muscle growth. And so I think that's where a lot of people fail. It's because they're not pushing hard enough. Yeah. And that brings you to my third point, kind of the eating the eating segment of bodybuilding, um, kind of the eat big to get big. This has been 
known for however many years since Arnold put out Pumping Iron is that you had to eat big to get big. Um, I think especially as two people who are natural, it's not always that case. Um, as we say, as I said, Arnold and everybody, they're on they're on lots of gear or steroids. Um, I think it has an effect on naturals is that they never seem to get the right answer over how to do it. So how was, how did you progress? Did you just like start eating right away or did you learn macro? I guess you learned macros through biochem a little yeah, bit. I mean, I then. knew all of that, but like when I first started training, I wasn't like just tracking macros, eat whatever I want. Like, you know, I was total bro. Yeah. Right. Like chicken and broccoli, brown rice, you know, like I was pretty bro. I mean, yes and no. When I was dieting for a show, yes, for sure. But like, I guess in the off season, I ate more flexible stuff, but um, at the end of the day, I think going all out and getting just straight up fat is is an excuse for people to be lazy because they don't want to diet. And it's not optimal for natural bodybuilders. Now, I will get like 30 pounds over stage weight, but I'm still relatively lean when I am. Like I still have abs and I still feel good and I'm you know, relatively lean. Um, it's just you have to get so incredibly lean to look good on stage as a yeah. natural that um, that's why there's such a big fluctuation there. But um, yeah, the, the whole bulking up thing is just, it's a great way to just get fat and lose your gains, you know, like, yeah, you might get strong, but like most of the time you're going to have to diet so much harder and longer to get lean that you're pretty much going to lose most of that. So I have found the approach is like, I tell people like, look, if you gain two pounds a month, right? And if you break that down, that's a half a pound a week, right? Well, let's even go take a step further and say, if you gained a pound a month, that's a quarter pound a week, right? At the end of the year, you'll have 12 pounds, if you're training hard, of lean muscle that you didn't have before. Now, obviously, some of that's going to be fat, but I would hope a large majority of that would be you know, muscle. And obviously, the more advanced you become, the harder it is to – your gains don't come like that. But the idea stays the same. Like Otherwise – you're just going to be putting on a ton of excess fat. So when you break it down like that, people are like, oh, I'm going to gain a pound a week, right? You kind of gain a pound a week, you're going to gain 50 pounds, 52 pounds in a year, right? Like that's <laughs> absurd. So your, your, your amount of calories, especially as a natural, do not have to be so far over maintenance, you know, to gain weight. You know, what do they say? Like 3,500 calories is about a pound, right? Like in, in body, something yeah. like that, that's 500 surplus a day. I don't think you need that much, right? Like if you went 200 calories over, um, your maintenance, right? Like that would be, you'd be in a much better position, I think. And so I think it's just the incremental gains and being consistent with your macros and knowing how much intake you, you get is really important so that you also know how to come down correctly. But I am not a believer in just getting, you know, blowing up. I, I think, you know, shooting for a quarter to a half a pound a week is ideal. So it's a long, steady game. Yeah, I think that's the one thing that a lot of people don't have, too, is you say the patience. Uh, I feel like that's just a word that rings in my head when whenever you're talking about all this stuff with working out and eating is always just patience. And I feel like that's also something that a lot of people don't have, especially at today's time with things like getting here so rapidly, like even just outside of fitness with Amazon, yeah. two-day shipping and everything. Everybody's so used to things being so well, quick. Well, that's what, and this that's is what the, the millennial yeah. culture is, right? Like now it's 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 not their fault. It's not a bad thing. It's just the way it is, right? They want and you know people will call millennials like entitled right but it's not really even that it's just they want instant feedback right because everything they've grown up in an instant world and so they want that instant feedback and that's why i think bodybuilding is difficult to comprehend or natural body is difficult to comprehend and a lot why a lot of people will take shortcuts the biggest things i think that well the two biggest pieces of advice or I guess characteristics that you can have to be a good bodybuilder is consistency, which goes hand in hand with patience, right? And intensity. Those two things are what's going to make a great bodybuilder. You look at all the great bodybuilders, they've been patient and consistent, and then they have great intensity in the gym and really what everything they do. So that goes to intensity with how strict are you are, are, are you on your diet, right? Like, um, it's just a way, it's kind of like a way of life. 
Yeah, and I kind of want to, and I wanted to talk about something because you brought something up about your 09, uh, you were in Cup, and then 2014. Did you take a break in between those? And then, so what was that break like going, especially trying to get back into the competing mind between 09 and 2014? Like, how did you get back into it? (laughs) You know, like. (laughs) <laughs> I think here's another mistake that a lot of people make is a natural bodybuilders. They feel like they need to compete, especially these days, especially now with the, the prevalence of men's physique. I feel like it's even more so than uh, in that category. Uh, people want to compete all the time. They want to compete in the spring and the fall and the spring and the fall and the spring and the fall, right? Like every year. Well, you're not going to make any gains. When you're in a calorie deficit as a natural, you are not putting on muscle. It's as simple as that. You really aren't. And so the people that make the most progress are the people that take like full years off the the most time the shortest time frame that i've had between shows was with my first and second show it was 14 months right and that was basically just one year right um every other time that i've competed i took two years so i competed in 05 07 09 and then i was like i had a lot of stuff going on in life right like i had a career i was building businesses I was, you know, essentially still a new newlywed, um, you know, so, you know, bodybuilding wasn't everything for me. And so I just didn't want to be dieting because when I diet, I diet, like it's not even the diet that's bad. It's just, I get so tunnel vision like, and so I I get very focused Mm. and I, uh, very selfish, right? Like that's just the way bodybuilding kind of is. And I just didn't want to have that in my life at the time. So I used 09 to 14 was probably a period of my absolute best training that I've ever had. Um, I would probably say maybe maybe 2016 was probably also one of my best years of training. Uh, what I mean by that is cons- uh, staying healthy, um, no nagging injuries, consistently getting stronger, that type of thing. Um, those years were great. You know, I didn't have the stress of dieting or doing all that, but you know, I was very, I was building businesses and doing other things. And, um, and then when I decided to come back to compete, like I was completely ready and I didn't want to come back till I knew, I mean, if my last show, I won essentially the world championship, I didn't want to show back up and, you know, be worse than I was in 09. Like I wanted yeah. to make sure that I was better and blow that physique away. And I think I was successful doing that. And it's because I took five years off. I think that my physique from 09 to to 14 is night and day different. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like, I think that's something that a lot of naturals should do is take more time off between shows because the stage will always be there and it takes many years to get good. You know, like, there's a lot of great natural bodybuilders in their late thirties, early forties, even into 50, right? Like, um, it just takes a lot of time to develop the muscle maturity and muscle mass. Um, so I think a lot of young guys could, you know, learn something from that. Yeah. I'm currently yeah, in, I'm currently in well, well, I never competed yet. Uh, but I still have like another two years, I think like I'm switching over to, my um, my new coach and I think I'm we're taking like two years off to do full growth once the gym's yeah. open because it's like this time's really stagnant. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not showing up until my coach says yeah. I'm ready, until he knows and he's confident that I could possibly win a show. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I'm all for that. And I think some people do need. I think most people do have a coach, and I think it's beneficial, in my opinion, to have a coach, especially in the off season too, because yeah. I think like you were saying with the whole eating to get big type thing too. I think they keep them on schedule over and on track over what they need to eat every day and keeps that consistency high. Listen, when you're high. training for a show, like I said before, you're not putting on muscle. The idea is to be most efficient as possible to maintain your muscle while you're getting leaner. So the, the quote unquote off season, which I don't even like to say, there is no off season. The growth season is the most critical time to have your diet and your training on point. Um, obviously there's room for leeway in there and you can eat, be a little more flexible in what you're eating and whatnot, but, um, it's the most critical time to train hard and be consistent with it. So, um, you know, having a coach during that time is great, you know, and I, when I was first starting this, I, I did everything wrong because, you know, there weren't, there weren't coaches (laughs) back then, right? Like just figured out on the internet, like I did everything wrong, you know, my first show, uh, things that I just kind of laugh about now, but it was a good learning experience. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and that kind of goes into your 09 to 14 time. We're going to talk about how did you build the inspiration of Bill Core? I think this is a big one. Um, this is kind of your baby per se as a whole. I think this is going to be one of your big legacy points in all of the industry is building core. So how did, how did you come up with the idea and what inspires you to kind of just keep going and keep doing it, especially working, building a family yeah, and stuff so like when that. I started it. It was more of a hobby, right? And actually when I first started it, I did have a business partner, um, who after about two years, I just bought him out. And the idea was, um, you know, as somebody who was working, I don't want to even say a nine to five, it was more like a seven to seven. Um, you know, I needed good nutrition. I was using like EAS myoplex packets, right? Like you probably don't even know what those are, yeah. right? right? <laughs> meal replacement filled with maltodextrin. Great at spiking insulin, but not like a great meal replacement. Um, so like I needed a better <laughs> alternative. And there was just a lot of stuff in the supplement industry that I didn't like, right? Like the proprietary blends, the, the, the fillers, just all this crap, right? Um, and that's why we started Core. Right is so I wanted to create products at the end of the day that I wanted to create. So it started with a twenty thousand dollar investment of our own money um, to develop the first product, which is our meal replacement. And literally for the first, so that was back in two thousand and December two thousand and four is when we like incorporated. So we first product was the market in early two thousand five, and so it's been fifteen years. And you know it really was just. Uh, putting out products that I wanted to use uh, because there were better alternatives. And, you know, as I became more successful in natural bodybuilding, um, the brand started grow, growing. And I put every penny back into that business. I didn't take any money out. So I think it was probably the first seven years I didn't take a penny out of that business. Now, I was very fortunate because I had a great job. Um, you know, kind of on the side to pay the bills, right? So I didn't have that pressure. Yeah. Um, but then it really, as I became more successful, and really the turning point was probably right around 2013, I left my corporate job. And then 2014, when I won all the bodybuilding shows that I did that year, uh, core started to really explode. Um, that's when we started getting international distribu uh, distribution. That's even when core kind of became... Uh, we did a, a rebrand back in 2000, late 2014, um, like let's call it 2005 years ago, but 2015 was our last okay. rebrand. Um, and, you know, that rebrand really kind of put us on the map in terms of, um, you know, putting out quality products and doing things differently. You know, we're proud to say that we were one of the very first in sports nutrition. You know, Nutribio has been around for a long time. Uh, another great yeah. company who's full, you know, disclosure, no proprietary blends or whatnot. But I even back then, like, I didn't know who they were. They were more in, I guess that would be more specialty. I didn't even consider that sports nutrition, right? Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, we were really one of, if not the first people to really be putting out non-proprietary blends. Now, we were a smaller company, so, like, you know, I don't know how much recognition we're going to get for that, but... We really were one of the first people to start doing that. And we've stuck to those same principles all along. Now the supplement industry demands that. Like that is just full disclosure, you know, great formulas. That is just – you need that just to be – to have an entry point to be a player in the industry, right? Like that is like the bare minimum, right? And then you need to have amazing flavors, you know, unique marketing, great packaging and build a culture, right? Like you need all of those things to create a great brand, right? Like anyone can put together a, a good product, right? Uh, the barriers to entry in the industry are low. The barriers to entry to becoming a, a really good brand are much higher. Um, and so, you know, that's where our focus has been, you know, the last five years. And uh, especially going into the 2020 rebrand, um, it was really about, you um, expanding the family of what we call the, the people that live the crush it lifestyle, the crush it crew, right? Like that's our, that's our Nike's just do it, right? Like that's core nutritionals just yeah. do it. Right. Um, and so the crush it lifestyle is something that we take very seriously. And that's, you know, being consistent, being patient and being intense all the time and no matter what you're doing. Right. So whether it's, 
being a good father or husband or um, clergyman, I don't know, whatever, at work, you know, in the gym, it's kind of giving it your all, right? So um, we've created a great group of ambassadors and people that um, love what we're doing in that sense and the, the message that we put out with that lifestyle. And so that was, we wanted to reach even more people with the 2020 rebrand where we went from the dark kind of masculine looking labels. I would say these are still masculine looking labels, but they're, they're white, right? But they're a little bit more futuristic looking. They have great, you know, artwork involved in them as well. They're more appeal on a shelf. They speak to a wider range of people than just the the dark hardcore bodybuilders, right? Uh, but a lot of the same elements are incorporated into that. And that was kind of to parallel our growth beyond just bodybuilding, but more into a lifestyle. I hate using lifestyle brand because like that's just, <laughs> I mean, but it kind of is, right? Like we live at the crush it lifestyle. Yeah. It might be different than, you know, some other lifestyle brands. But, um, you know, we've also been one of the first people to do that not recognizing it as a lifestyle brand, but that's the way I've always viewed it. Uh, people that use core, people that use core nutritionals have a connection with the products, right? Like they feel that they are using really premium stuff, right? Because they take what they do very seriously. And that's what the message that we put out with core. And so that was kind of the reason why we went to the the rebrand this past year. I know that answered your question and then some, but like I figured I'd tie it together with, uh, well, that was going to, I was going to ask that question eventually as to why you rebrand it. So you kind of hit that anyway. I think you guys have the dopest branding out of a lot of, I think a lot of your companies, which is interesting point. I kind of wanted to get to too, which is, I guess we'll revert back to some things I've had in mind, but, um, kind of, Working with other brands. So you have Core, you have America Labs, you also have like Arms Race. So how did you go into more brands and just Core, like expanding yourself out to more than just Core? Now, look, we've learned a lot through Core, the mistakes and even the successes, we've learned a lot. So um, the rebrand of Core is something that I'm probably most proud of at the moment because that's the culmination of all of the brands and all of the past 15 years of being in the industry, uh, I think was captured very well with what we're doing right now with core. Um, but when we launched America labs, you know, we did more in the first year of America labs than we did in the first seven years of core combined. Right. And then when we launched <laughs> arms race, we did more in the first six months than we did in like the first two years of America labs. So, you know, we get better as we go through with time. And so the story behind America Labs comes from really our retail side. So we also have the Nutrition Corners, which is a chain of nine retail stores in Virginia. And um, yep. where Core America and Arms Race are just three of the brands of like the hundred brands that are sold at those stores. And we created those stores because... Again, just like Core, they were kind of born out of necessity because there weren't good retailers to educate and to support the sale of a brand like Core. Maybe not just Core, but a brand like Core. But obviously, it's also a direct distribution point for our brands to the consumer. So uh, there's a couple benefits there. So um, we started the retail stores, and then we were finding that people who came in and didn't want to go through what we call the Nutrition Corner experience, where the retail associate or uh, manager interacts with the client in a way that they feel comfortable and they open up to them and they share information and do all that. Some people just want to go in and buy, right? And they want to be left alone. But those people were buying like the the the, pro, the pre-workout with 500 milligrams of caffeine and a prop blend yeah. with a skull and a crossbow or whatever on the front because it looked cool, <laughs> and, but they never buy it again because of the crappy formula so back in 2016 i was like man we can do this and we can do it better a marketing driven brand that sticks to the same principles of core nutritionals but is over the top on the labeling and the marketing and that's where america labs was born and so we took an uber patriotic approach uh kind of a satirical approach on the whole it was right during when trump and hillary were running right (laughs) um and you know that very quickly we put together some it's relatively simple but great products, um, straightforward products in a nonprofit blend, just 
over-the-top in dosing. Everything about America is never big enough, right? So double the dosing on everything except for like stimulants, obviously, because you'll get sick. But like over-the-top yeah. <laughs> in the dosing. And uh, it was immediately a hit. And so we just expanded that brand and it just became, you know, a sister company to Core. Um, and then then in 18, we got into the energy drink game. You know, now there's this huge fad of energy drinks. Well, we were one of kind of the first at the beginning of that. Uh, some of the other energy drink companies that started right around the time we did, like uh, BSN's EndoRush, uh, ProSup's Hyde, all of those are gone now. The only other one that started around us, which was a little bit after, was C4. And obviously, they've taken off. Um, so we're proud that we're at least st- still in the game here. You know, we're no, we're no yeah. bang or or C4, but um, we think we put out some innovative marketing and some innovative flavors and just have a great experience with our product and continue to grow. Uh, we've grown through specialty and now we're starting to break out into C stores. And like just yesterday, we got a pretty good deal for some uh, much wider spread C store distribution that we're excited about. Um, so that was 2018. And then 2019, we were. Um, I was talking to Julian Smith for a long time about courting him to come over to court, but he was at a point in his career where he didn't just want to be another brand ambassador or brand athlete, right? Like he did that. He did it with Optimum. He did it with Bodybuilding.com. He was at a point where he had enough followers and enough of his other business that he wanted to do his own brand. So he was deciding between us and somebody else. And um, basically at the end of the day, it was the right fit for us. So we had a great... um, um, kind of a brand idea for him with the arms race nutrition and the look and how it fits with his personal brand. Um, and so we decided to do a, um, influencer based brand, but again, do it the right way. Don't just stick somebody's name behind a product and put out a shitty formula, do it in a way that you're putting out amazing products. So even if the influencer gets hit by a bus tomorrow, the products are still great. Right. Like that's very that was very important. And so we were all aligned on that. And then we had an amazing direct to consumer launch. And literally the day after we launched, we went to GNC and they were blown away and basically signed an exclusive with them. And they've been our exclusive partner. And we have some amazing things in the works with GNC uh, in the near future as well. So that brand has kind of been on a rocket ship and um, has just exceeded really all expectations, not without its own problems or issues that you get with any business. It hasn't been all, um, you know, milk and honey here, but sunshine and rainbows, rainbows, (laughs) yeah, roses and strawberries, whatever you want to call it. You know, it hasn't been all of that, but, uh, we've learned a lot and we're in a great position now, even when GNC, a lot of people think that they're in a terrible position at the moment. Um, I kind of disagree with that just based on things that I know and um their current situation and their pl- more importantly the plans for the future so um i think it, they're a great partner for that brand um and so yeah i mean that was the i guess really the fourth brand that we did if you split up america energy and america uh labs so that's kind of the story of how yeah. those rolled out yeah so kind of looking yeah at so it, kind of uh, looking at it um, the gnc thing the was gnc thing was going to was gonna bring up because like you said you have your own nutrition corner store and you made those kind of things that people weren't being taught how to properly use a product i think that's also why your stores kind of succeed is because also i think people need to know how to use a product before even like trying it like even like you might go into the store looking at it and you might know you want it but if you don't know how to use it effectively what's the point of buying it like a gda like if you look at something like like any type of glucose disposal yeah. agent not many people know how to use it but they all think it's just an excuse to eat right. more carbs and i would never sell someone a product if that's their answer to kind of like the question at yeah i mean and, and that here's it. the thing right so there are some great managers at gnc stores that i would hire in a heartbeat to run one of my stores But, and GNC will be the first to admit this, the large majority of, because they have so many stores, the large majorities of stores you're going to walk into, the people just don't have the education. And so I wanted to have people that were super passionate about this, live the lifestyle and could, you know, educate people. And so um, that's why our stores have been successful. Um, Even in a time when retail, people say is dying. I don't think retail is dying. Now in the GNC position, you know, they have... 
they released things about talking about like the massive debt that they have um, and, you know, the store closings. But I'll speaking frankly to you, I actually think the whole COVID-19 thing that we're going through right now has accelerated their longer term plan to close stores. At one point in time, the quickest way to reach as many people as possible was to open up as many stores as possible. Well, in the digital age that we're in today, that is just simply not the case. So the business has to adapt. GNC has probably the single most strong brand in the entire world for supplements. Like the name GNC is yep. worldwide and it's very respected worldwide. I think some of the bros will give it a bad name because of the idiots, some of the idiots working in some of the stores. But the brand of GNC itself is amazing, right? And so no matter if they have bad debt situation, the GNC name is going to live on in one way or another. It might look differently two years from now than it does now, but I think forcing all of these retail stores to shut down. There's going to be some type of bailout or or fallout from this in the retail side. They might come out of this thing and never open up a thousand stores, but they have like 4,000, right? But they're going to be in a much better position for overhead, um, keeping their strongest stores, keeping their strongest employees, letting go, trimming the fat, um, and really building relationships with their key accounts and their key vendors like Arms Race Nutrition. And that's why we are excited about the future with GNC, even at a time when their stock is worth 40 cents. Uh, I know it sounds yeah. kind of crazy, but we are uh, cautiously optimistic about the future, right? We're not naive enough to think that uh, it could, it might get a little rocky, but uh, we are very cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I think that's kind of how you have to look at it in this situation, especially with everything going on is you have to look for the best of things right now. And last few questions I have for you. First one, I kind of want to go into something. I'm going into consulting. You know that. We went over this. You were in consulting. So creating something rather than working for the man like everybody's all about this now uh kind of go into your decision to leave like that day that you said i'm done you put in your two weeks notice whatever uh kind of just want to go over that day that you said you were at the time so uh a couple years before that and probably 2011 um somebody i used to live in arlington right we had a condo right next to arlington nutrition corner so it was literally next door i was there all the time and then my gym was literally across the street gold's gym boston which is a great yeah gold's yeah um so like i literally i lived in that little area there well a friend of mine who i worked with sat next to he was in the office next to me was almost my same age um shopped in our store um he was kind of a quirky guy um, I wouldn't say we were best friends, but we were definitely friends. He passed away randomly. Like one night he got sick and they found him passed out in the bathroom. And I hear, I guess his, um, appendix burst and he just died. It's crazy. It was kind of a little bit of a wake up call. It kind of shook our company. I worked for a company called Bates white. We were, uh, I was one of the first, yeah, I started with them when they were less than a year old as their first intern and then kind of grew with them. And, you know, now they're a hundred million dollar company with, you know, 200 plus employees and they're just crushing it. Um, so we were pretty tight knit and that kind of shook everybody. And so in 2011, uh, I asked my work because at the same time I had a lot going on, right? This was right after my shows. I was building my businesses. I had Arlington nutrition corner. Um, I said, Hey, I want to go 70%. So like I came up with this, not a scheme, but an idea where, um, I will work in the office in DC three days a week, one day a week, I'll work a half day from home. So in theory, they wanted you working 50 hours, but we always worked way more than that. So I was like, I'll work 35 hours and pay me 70% of what I was making. And they said, yeah, I was like, wow, that's pretty great. Cause I still had full benefits and all this <laughs> stuff. Right. And so that was like the first step. And then 2013, the brands really started to grow. And I just found out my wife was pregnant and, uh, which is, makes it even more scary kind of to step away from a job where you kind of have the golden handcuffs, a great, I was in management. I was making great money, great benefits, all this stuff. But I also knew if I was going to do it now's the time, because I did not want to be, uh, I did not want to have kids where I was working in the rat race. 
right? Like, cause there were times where I was yeah. literally doing, I was working eight hour day at Bates White, then I'd leave to go train. So I established that very early on that I'm gonna train regardless. And then I'd come back and work another eight hours and that's one day, right? Like this is during a time when we're submitting expert reports and doing all this busy stuff. And um, I was like, I didn't wanna raise kids where I was in that situation. I wanted to be in a better situation. So I probably held on a few years later. I don't regret it because I learned so much there. Um, you know, like it was invaluable, but I probably could have walked away five years earlier, but I knew it because I just had such a passion for what I was doing. And the money was already starting to come in as another, like the money from core was already starting to come in where I could really see like, Hey, you know, we could probably make this without the other income. And then the nutrition corner started the one store we had was, you know, turning a profit in the first year. And so I was like, okay, well like, and then I started doing a lot of coaching. I was doing a lot of coaching at the time. I was like, you know what? We're going to be fine. And I think the thing that really pushed me over the edge was my direct boss, one of the partners that I worked under, he, he, he bought all our stuff. He shopped at Arlington Nutrition Corner. He knew my passion. And finally, I was having a conversation with him and I was, you know, I was like telling him my dilemma. And he's like, listen, Doug, just leave. He's like, you'll, you'll, he said it in a very flattering way. It wasn't like, dude, just leave. It was like, you'll always have a job here. If you go off and in six months from now, a year from now, you find you just fail and you fall flat on your face, you will always have a job here, right? And so that was very reassuring, right? I was like, what's the worst that could happen here, right? Like I go back and take my great job back over. Like no harm, no foul. But it was very clear when I made that decision that things started taking off in a whole other direction because I could literally just focus on what I was doing. The number of clients that I was training was almost becoming overwhelming, right? Like I was making enough money just on my training to survive. And then core started really going because I had all these tr clients that were all believed in what I was doing. And so they were all buying core and they were, my local clients were all shopping in Arlington nutrition corner. So all the businesses work together, right? And then it just kind of steamrolled from there until I got into a point where I just couldn't train clients anymore. And uh, just my, I realized my passion wasn't always being, cause I, you know, coaching is like, you have to be psychologist and best friend and all that stuff all the time, right? With these people. And I just, yeah. it's very draining. I did enjoy some aspects of it, but especially competitors are very needy, right? Um, my passion was in, um, working with my employees here, building brands, designing products, selling supplements. That is just something that I really found that that was like my passion, right? It was more so that than training people. Um, and so that's why I kind of stepped away from training to really focus on this again. And then once I did that, then these businesses started taking off a little bit more because I didn't have to be distracted by training people. Um, so it's like, it's kind of, it was more of a gut feel, right? Like obviously my boss kind of put me over the edge and made me feel good about it. But at yeah. the end of the day, you know, I'm so blessed. Like sometimes I forget, sometimes I get stressed and I get upset about stuff and I'm in a, you know, just a crappy mood. But like, I see the flips. I worked on the flip side. I worked the 80 hour weeks consulting, you know, commuting 45 minutes to work, working a 14 hour day, commuting home and then training at night, never seeing my wife. You know, I did the flip side of that. And uh, I'm not trying to make you <laughs> discouraged going into consulting, but just know it's going to be fun. But <laughs> there was so much value in that. So you being in your early 20s, it's going to be the best experience. And I highly recommend you soak up every opportunity you have in the consulting and really push yourself, right? Um, because those will be skills that you learn uh, that you otherwise wouldn't learn. You'll realize that all the stuff you learned in school probably doesn't apply, but you'll get so many real world skills. And then it will help to kind of develop you and you'll, you'll build up some cash because I know where you're going to work and they probably pay pretty well. Um, you'll build up some money and then you can really kind of focus your hobbies and your passions, you know, in your free time of figuring out what you really want to do and where you really want to focus. Um, <clears throat> because whatever, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, but some people want to own a business just to say they own a business. That's a shitty idea of why you should go into business. You should go into business and follow something that you're truly passionate about because if you can't speak passionately about it, no one's going to follow you. No one's going to buy from you. No one's going to trust you. 
So you'll know when that time comes, but it's it's not an instant thing and you shouldn't feel rushed to find your entrepreneur spirit within you, you know, like it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's perfectly sums up. That was my plan. That's my hopeful plan. I love doing this. So if there's a way to incorporate this eventually into everything I do, it's like that's the dream to kind of just talk to people like you and have this opportunity to kind of just do this as a job and make it like pay for itself. And but the goal is to move down there to make it happen down there for the best of my, like you said, crush it whatever you do kind of just crush it wherever you are like live life with intent like that's why i've been learning lately especially about a graduate college it's like it's what you yeah. gotta do it's like if you're not crushing it in everything you're doing what's the point absolutely uh, job, so we're headed towards the, so we're uh, headed towards the end um i asked the same three questions to everybody to kind of finish it off um as just a way of summarizing the whole podcast and stuff like that so the first question is basically that uh what three things do you think could summarize this whole podcast if you had to put it down to that that's all you need to know (laughs) no but seriously like as you just said you have to live your life with intent right like i'm not trying to be Andy Frisella here and give you this inspirational speech or Gary Vee, right? <laughs> but like I have experienced it firsthand and I've helped many other entrepreneurs that I talk to kind of understand this. And it's like, and, and, and I latch on and I, I, I don't latch on, but like I'm drawn towards people that have that same passion about whatever it is. I find it so fascinating, but you have to be persistent and consistent. And then you have to have intensity and passionate about pretty much anything you do, or at least in the things that you want to be successful at, right? Because every successful person is consistent and persistent and passionate and intense about the things that they love. And so, um, you know, I think that pretty much sums up my entire life. I'm a very intense person. Um, I can be a lot to handle. uh, And I'm hard on the people around me, usually. Um, but I also have a big soft side to me. Um, so and I think as you get older and you have kids, that's what happens. But, um, but living your life that way has been, uh, extremely rewarding, uh, for me so far. All right. Um, number two, kind of, if you read and you want to give some recommendations or you listen to podcast, um, uh, I asked what three books and or podcast, uh, you think everyone should listen to and if not and if you don't do that you can name three exercises that everybody should should do um <laughs> so i would say that um good to great by far is the mo- i don't know if you've read that book but good no, to great yet. is has been the most valuable it's basically our secular bible for our nutrition corners and our, our brands. Um, it, long story short, it talks about, uh, it, it looks at companies, publicly traded companies through time, and they ask the research question of what has turned a company from good to great. And there's very uh, cons- uh, very specific metrics about what a great company is. And then they interviewed, they did years long of research. They interviewed people, looked at a bunch of different stuff, and they came up with all of these guiding principles of how to make a business go from good to great. And we refer to that literally every manager's meeting, um, um, you know, just everything we do refers back to good to great. Um, the other book that I really like and I think it's important, so like, these are ones that like I would say like start with this this one, right? Like start with why by Simon Sinek, right? So this is talking about yeah. like you have to have a why and understand what your why is before you kind of go on into um progressing your business, right? Like a lot of people just think about the what. They want money, they want success, they want fame and all that. That is just the what. That's not that's not the why. That's not even the how. Like you need to know your why. Why are you doing this in the first place? And for me, it goes back to the crush it lifestyle and giving my all and my best to everything we do. So we put that into our supplements, right? 
And then our how is how do we do this? Well, we package it in a, in a way. We put together the formulas in a way. We uh, create an ambassador program in a way that kind of encompasses the why. The what is just the sales, right? Like that is the success, right? Like those are the things that come with that. So um, I would say I would probably put those two books and I probably won't name a third. I, there are a couple other ones that I recommend. But if you're those would be my top two as where to start. You know, like those two books will give you a great foundation. Start with why and then good to great are phenomenal. Um, and so th that, that would be my answer for that. Awesome. And then awesome. Lastly, and then lastly, kind of just, kinda just nice, little, <laughs> nice little shameless plug for yourself. Um, where can people find you, your companies, anything that you kind of want to give sure. about anything? Basically, it's your time to yeah, shine well, right I'm now. Most active probably on Instagram, although even during this COVID-19 thing, I've kind of stepped away from Instagram a little bit um, just because I'm enjoying the time with my family. But uh, so it's Doug yeah. Miller Pro um, on Instagram and uh, Doug Miller Pro on YouTube. My businesses, Core Nutritionals, America Labs, that's America, not America. That's the key, right? It's just an M. America Labs, America Energy, and Arms Race Nutrition. Uh, pretty much you just Google it. You'll find them everywhere. Um, but yeah, those, those are my babies. And then, um, also my retail stores, the nutrition corners.com. If you are in the Virginia area, I highly recommend you find one of them and go in there and, uh, experience the nutrition corner experience. And if you're not, you know, go on the website, we, you know, we ship worldwide. So, um, you can support, support us through that way as well. Uh, first off, Doug, I want to say thank you for coming Absolutely. on the show. Um, if people listen and they really enjoyed something, tag us in your stories. I love to show, I love showing love to people. So I'll repost it on mine. If you guys are listening and stuff like that, so definitely do that. Um, everybody go give Doug a follow number one, two. Um, it's awesome to be able just to converse with someone who's highly up in the industry that's really respected by everybody so everybody thank you for listening to this episode and catch you next time on the ace of spada podcast